Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. My message today is entitled Light in the Darkness. Now, there's an expression, most of you probably think that it was Benjamin Franklin that said it, and he did say it, not sure he coined it, and it was this, it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. You've all heard that? He didn't actually coin, coin that phrase, it goes back all the way to Confucius, Eleanor Roosevelt said it, all kinds of people said it, I just said it, I'm not taking credit for it, but it is an enduring principle that it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness, and I'll tell you why. Because scientifically, the power of darkness can be dispelled by the smallest amount of light. There's actually only one way to dispel darkness, and that is with light. You can't, there's no way to extract darkness, there's no way you can do it, and all it takes is a little bit of light, and you can actually dispel darkness. Now, the converse is, is, is this, is that it doesn't matter how much darkness you can have, you cannot dispel light. Light will always defeat darkness. Now, let, let me give you an example of this in case you're not entirely clear on this. So, uh, I brought my light with me. Uh, some of you remember these. They're a little keychain light. It's a tiny little light. And we gave, gave these to the men years ago on a Father's Day. And we gave all the men one of these. And I've kept mine with me this whole time. And I can't tell you how many times I've used it. I'm in the garage. The light's not working or something. I've got my little light. Uh, you know, I'm working on the car. It's night. I can't see something. I pull up my little light. And I'm going to look at camera number one there. And I'm going to show you how light... You you might want to shield your eyes because boom, there you go. Is it on? Can you see that? That's a pretty light, bright light for how little it is. And, and if we were doing a, to do an experiment in this room, which I'm not going to do, but if we were to turn off all the lights in this room and we have no windows in here, so we could make this room pitch black. Now, the reason we're not going to do this experiment is the cameramen wouldn't like it. And uh, they don't like me messing with the lights here. So you have to imagine that it's all dark, right? And if it was all dark, if you can imagine that, which is not hard, and if I turned on this light in any point in this room and I went like that, how many would see it? You would all see it. Every last one of you would see this light because any small amount of light can actually defeat darkness. I even have a song about this little light that I wrote. I, mean, I, I know you've never heard it. It goes like this. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Isn't that a great tune? I, I, came, I think I came up with that. I can't remember. But anyway, it's this little light, and it dispels darkness. And, and it's, it's an immense truth to think that that little tiny light can do such a thing. And if we look at Scripture, we realize this, is that Scripture is a story of the battle between light and darkness, both literally and metaphorically. Now, there's literal light, literal darkness, but metaphorical light and darkness are good and evil, and, and you kind of know that. And it's actually mentioned hundreds of times in Scripture, this battle between light and darkness. You find it actually right at the very, very beginning of the book, Genesis 1.1. It says, and in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without uh, form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be... Light. light. He said, let there be light. And? And there was light. And all of a sudden, the, the world came into being as God defeated darkness in that moment. Now, there was still nothing that existed, but at least now you could see it, right? That, that's a joke, by the way. 
And then that's the beginning of the Bible. You go to the very end of the Bible. You go into Revelation chapter 21, and this is what it says. It says that there was a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth had passed away. And there was a city called the New Jerusalem. And in the New Jerusalem, there was no moon and there was no sun and there was no darkness because the glory of God shone amongst the city and illuminated it day and night. And, of course, John told us in 1 John chapter 5 that God is light and there is no darkness in him. And so what we discover from Scripture is that that God comes and he defeats uh, darkness at every corner and every turn. So there was an interesting book that was just come out recently. It's called Light in the Darkness. And it's actually written by a Dutch astrophysicist by the name of Heino Falke. And uh, what is sort of significant about this book is in 2019, he captured the first photograph of a, of a black hole. And uh, this had never been done before. They always believed that these black holes existed, but now he's proven it because he's actually captured a photograph of the black hole. It was a great global event where they used all of these radio telescopes, et cetera, et cetera. Do, do you want to see a picture? Came out in 2019. You want to see it? It was groundbreaking. Here, show the picture of the black hole. Yeah. <laughs> What did you, you think it was going to look like? <laughs> now, I know that's not totally helping you, but it is, it is black. Uh, but zoom out a bit. Zoom out a bit. And that's actually what the picture looked like. And you say, well, what's that, that ring? That's a plasma ring, a halo around the black hole. That black area in the middle, that's the black hole. And the radio telescope br- picks up that plasma ring, and that's why it shows like this. So, so anyway, the, the guy responsible for this, this Dutch astrophysicist, uh, again, his name Heino Falke, he wrote this book. And the book is called Light in the Darkness, Black Holes, the Universe, and Us. It's interesting to me that he didn't call it uh, darkness in the light. He called it light in the darkness. And so he spent 11 chapters talking about this discovery, talking about how they got there, talking about how the team worked cooperatively across all these nations and how they were finally able to capture this picture. That was the first 11 chapters. And then in the last three chapters of the book, he spent saying how this proves the existence of God and how it was God's way of showing us a little bit of his glory. And people who read the book were perplexed, and they said, what has this got to do with, with God? And he said, it has to do everything with God. And he says, these people who think that science and religion are incongruent congruent, don't understand their science. And he was unapologetic about the fact that what the black hole does is it's just another thing of the creation of God that screams that there is a creator, and this creator is more powerful than darkness. And see, all, everything in this world, it's really a matter of how you look at it, right? I mean, a pessimist sees a dark tunnel. An optimist sees the light at the end of a tunnel. A realist sees a freight train at the end of the tunnel. And the train engineer sees three idiots standing on the railroad tracks, right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go into the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of a favorite place of mine. And uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5, and this is what Jesus says. Verse 5, chapter 5, verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, so it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So when we look at that passage, this is what we discover, that Benjamin Franklin was right. 
That it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. And Jesus specifically says that our job is to be the light of the world. Is that not what he said? He said, we're the light of the world. He, he told us we were that light. And we were to so let that light shine. But I want you to think about something. I want you to be really honest. How many of you sometimes feel like you'd rather just curse the darkness? You've got some, oh, come on. I said be honest. You can be dishonest for the rest of the day. But for a couple of minutes, give me a couple of minutes of honesty. How many feel like sometimes you feel like cursing the darkness? Yeah, you're all like me. We're all like that. I mean, I look at this war in Ukraine. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to curse the darkness. I watch the news and I see the war in politics and I want to curse the darkness. How many of you are like me? Remember we're having that honest moment? And when you're watching the news, you talk back to it. How many of you do that? Yeah, yeah, we, we talk back to it. Poor Omar Sachedina. It's not his fault, right? But I'm cursing the news, right? And, you know, I look at a lot of things in this world. I want, to, I want to curse this thing with addictions and drugs and the war on drugs. I want to curse that darkness. I want to curse the war on the family and the war on marriage and the war on gender. There's a lot of things that I would like to get mad about. But here's my question. What good will it do? Cursing the darkness accomplishes nothing. And I'll give you the biblical example. So what would have happened if it began like this? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And, God, and, and, and darkness was over the face of the waters, and God said, Cursed be the darkness! I said, Cursed be the darkness! What would happen? It might have got darker, I don't know, but it wasn't going to get brighter. It doesn't work. You all know this. You've all gone home late for work one day. You you didn't turn your lights on because you weren't expecting to come home that late. The whole house is completely black. You walk in the front door. I know what you do. You go, cursed be the darkness. Right? Cursed be the darkness. Is that what you do? No, what do you do? You turn on the stupid light. Is what you do. You turn on the light. It makes all the difference in the world. How come we don't understand this principle? It's so profoundly simple that our job is to be the light of the world and to turn on the light in the midst of the darkness and it is better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. I think we all get that. So, so Jesus said a few things here in this passage. I want to go through them. So the first thing he did was he said this. He said, you are the light of the world. And my question is, who is you? Now, before you answer that, I'll tell you why it's sort of a trick question. Because in the English language, we have no singular or plural for the word you. You ever thought about that? Most languages have a singular and plural for you. We only have, we have you, Janet, or you, all of you together. Now, unless you live in Texas and they have the plural for it. The plural for it is y'all, y'all. But you know that even that has changed because the the people in Texas, this is how smart they are, and they're very smart, they started using in the singular, y'all, in the singular. And so you're ordering breakfast, and they say, y'all want pancakes with that breakfast? Well, y'all is only one person. So they've had to amend it, and it's no longer y'all, it's all y'all. In case you're not sure who y'all is, it's all y'all. Where's this going to end, people? Are we going to get all, all y'all, all all y'all? I mean, where's it going to end? I don't know. Now, now they got it figured out in the internet. Not the internet, the interlake. <laughs> they got it figured out in the interlake, same thing, practically. And uh, they used the word use guys. <laughs> and use guys is the plural for you in, in, in the English language. My apologies to people in the interlake, Texans, and everybody else. So, so the question is then, take a wild stab at it, is you singular or plural here? Anybody know? 
The Greek language is very specific. It's got a plural and a, and a singular for this, and it's in the plural. And so when he is saying, you are the light of the world, he's saying you collectively. Now, we all have that little light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But, you know, that only has so much light. But what happens when we all come together? It becomes exceedingly bright. And that's what he is talking about. And we will never accomplish this task. Now, we can do a little bit with our little light as we let it shine. But it's when we all begin to work together and love together and care together that we shine and illuminate the darkness in this world. And that's what it's going to take. There, I got one guy on side with me. <laughs> and you got the rest of these guys going. It's like, it's like the story of these, these three churches. They were working, working together on an outreach. They were Pentecostal church, a Baptist church, and a Mennonite church. And so what happened was this. After the event, the pastors got together. They wanted to see how it worked and did the church actually grow. And the Pentecostal pastor said it was fantastic. We gained four brand new people. The Baptist said, we did even better than that. We gained six brand new people. The Mennonite pastor said, I think we did better than all of you. We got rid of our 10 worst troublemakers. <laughs> so, the, so the first thing here is, who is the you? And the you is all of us collectively. And of course, it's us individually. The second question is, what does it actually mean to let our light shine? He told us what it was. Did you catch it when I read through it? Did you catch it? He said, and so let them see your good <laughs> One person got it. <laughs> see, I, I don't think we know what the light is. He says, this is what the, being the light is. It's so let people see your good works so that they may glorify God. That's what it is. See, isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't Jesus blow into town before he told people that they needed to be born again or needed to you know, come to salvation. Before he did that, what did he do? He went and he healed the sick and he cleansed the lepers and, and he you know, cast out demons and he raised the dead. And then, of course, because they had seen his good works, they were coming to God in droves as a result. And here's why. Here's how it works. See, good works produce goodwill and goodwill gives an opportunity for us to share the good news. And the problem is with us is that we're, we try to jump to the good news. We try to share. We have great news. It's good news. There's no doubt. But we just jump right to the good news and we forget to do the good works and we forget to produce the goodwill that gives us the right to share the good news. Are you following this? And that's what the scripture is talking about here, is that we have to earn that right to share the, 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 good, the good news. And so we have to do these acts in such a way that people understand them. And I know you compare yourself to Jesus and you go, you know, he did all those things. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. I'm really terrible at raising the dead. How are you guys? Are any, any of you good at this? I'm really bad at it. I, don't, I hate to confess this to you. I've never raised a single person from the dead. I'm not terrible at it. You say, well, how come I can let my light shine if I can't even raise the dead? Well, I want to give you another example. And it's a bit of a classic example. If you were a product of the 20th century, you will know the name Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Do you know Mother Teresa of Calcutta, as much as we know, never raised the dead, never cleansed the leper, never healed the sick? I don't even know if she prayed for stuff like that. But somehow, some way, she has been recognized and canonized as a saint in 2016. Because I'll tell you, she knew how to let her light shine. And she had this little expression that she used. It was her, her sort of key life verse. And it was out of the Gospels where Jesus said, If you give one of the least of these a cup of water in my name, you did it to me. 
And people would say, what motivates you to do this? And she says, she would pull out her hand like this. Here's a picture of her. She would lift up her hand, or she would take a child's hand, and she would go through the fingers and say, you did it to me. That was her single motivation in life, that anything she did for anybody, whether they were great or small, she did it for Jesus. And every little act, and if you don't think she made a difference, think about it again. There was 450 chapters of the Missionaries of Charity all over the world. She had 10,000 employees. Mother Teresa ran this entire organization, and she did it by by sharing the love of Christ with other people. We can do this. In fact, I'll go a little bit further. You know, people are always slamming the church, saying we're ineffective, saying we don't do anything good, saying we're a bunch of haters. I'm thinking, that's not the church I know. You know, I look, at the, I look at what the church is doing in the world and even in our own city. I think we're actually very good. Not just pretty good. I think we're very good at being the light. I mean, let me ask you this. Who is it that takes care and feeds the homeless in our city of Winnipeg? Who is it that does that? It's the church. It's the Christian people. It's Salome Mission. And it's, you know, Union Gospel Mission. And it's the Salvation Army. Do you think there's other organizations doing this? There's a couple, but not really. The people who are doing this are the church are reaching out and touching people. Who is it that's, that's ministering to and providing homes for the refugees that are flooding into our cities? Again, you see that it's the Christian church that's doing this. You see the Chai Immigrant Center, a Christian organization. You see uh, Naomi House, where we have people in this church that work there and they bring refugees and care for them and help them get established this is the church doing these things who do you think that's it is that's running the sports camps in the inner cities and the the summer camps out in the country on lakes where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids go every summer to these places i'll tell you who it is it's it's camp cedarwood and camp arnez and it's and it's youth for christ Youth for Christ and Athletes in Action, Youth for Christ built on the corner of Portage and Higgins, for goodness sakes. What does that tell you? Right in the very darkest corner of our city, because they want to be that light. It was C.T. Studd who said this. He, he said, you know, most people want to live within the sound of the church bells. He said, give me a gatepost at the gates of hell. And you see, that's what our call is, is to touch our world and be there. And I think we're doing a pretty good job of it. I mean, let me, let me, here's another one. How about the, the people in the sex trade, women and children? Do you know that there are more people in slavery today than any other time of history? And most of them are in the sex trade. Do you know that? And who is it that's reaching out, ministering to those people? It's groups like the International Justice Ministry, which we as a church support. It's people like Dignity House in Winnipeg. The director of that is a member of our church. Who do you think is doing this? Who do you think is taking care of the orphans around the world? I'll tell you, it's only the church. Almost nobody is doing this. You find almost no secular orphanages. You go anywhere in the world and you'll find the church at work. We support hundreds and hundreds of orphans in the Philippines and in Uganda, different places that we work in Haiti. The church is at work. And so Jesus said, let them see your good works, which I think we're doing a pretty good job of doing. And it says that they may glorify God. But I want to give you a little caveat here. Because I don't want you to leave you the impression that if you do good things, everybody will love you. Because it doesn't work like that. You know that Jesus had his detractors? Do you know that some people didn't appreciate what Jesus did? You know what they did to him? They crucified him. 
they, they didn't really like what he did. So I just want you to keep that balance. You know, some people are going to actually recognize that and go, wow. Uh, they, they're going to glorify God because of what the church is doing. But other people are actually going to criticize and judge you for it and call you all kinds of names. So I want to tell you a little story about this. So a few years ago, there was a freelance reporter who worked primarily for the CBC Radio in Winnipeg. And she wanted to do a story and she'd been given time to get, have a whole week of stories, half hour every single day, right in the middle of the day. And she wanted to do the story on Church of the Rock. She had seen the stuff we were doing in different parts of the ministries that we work in and all over the place. And she phoned me up and she asked me about this. And of course, everybody told me, Pastor Mark, don't do it. Don't do it. You know what the CBC is going to do. They're going to turn on you. They're going to misconstrue it. And they're going to turn it and they're going to attack you. And I said, you know, I feel good about this one. I feel, I feel like this person was objective and really wanted to do a proper story. So I said yes, and I led her into the fold, and she spent a week with us, and she hung out with our missions director and hung out with the people who run Celebrate Recovery in our church, and they hung out with our kids' ministry, and it was during the month of June, so we were doing Love Winnipeg back in those days, and we were out in the streets doing stuff. She was completely blown away. And then the next week, so she spent the week with us, and the next week she did this, this program, and she had you know clips of conversations that she had with us because it was radio and uh, she told the stories and she was absolutely amazed and marveled at the things that you were doing and this church was doing and every day was better than the next the first day was on missions and the second day was on on celebrate recovery and the third day was on love winnipeg and, and i couldn't believe it i thought we've never had press like this never and then something happened on the last day of the event i think it was day number six on the last day she was nowhere to be found she was not hosting it. The news director of the CBC was hosting it himself, and they absolutely tore us to shreds. Just ripped us and said the worst and the meanest and the most untrue things about us. I couldn't believe that this thing turned on us. And I didn't know why, and I phoned this reporter. I couldn't get through to her. About two weeks later, she phones me. She says, I haven't been able to talk to you. I haven't been picking up your calls. She said they didn't like how we were puffing Church of the Rock. They didn't like how we were saying nice things about you. And I was just telling the story as I saw it and as it was. And they thought that it was bad press for them to be so cozy with the church. And so they pulled me off the story and they did this to you. And she says, I'm so ashamed. But she says, let me tell you something. This has almost ruined my career. I don't know if I'll ever get hired again for a freelance piece. And, he said, and then she said this, you know what they did? They accused me of having an affair with you, the pastor. <laughs> and she says, I, I, I never knew that people could be like this to you, which I said, hey, welcome to my world. <laughs> you want a job on staff here? And, you know, I, I tell you this story just to tell you not everybody's going to love what you do. It's just sort of the way it is. So, so the first thing is this, the you is you all, y'all. The second thing is to let our light shine, which is to do good works. But there's a third part of this, that is sometimes missed, and he said, you know, you don't light a basket, or sorry, you don't light a lamp to put it under a basket. And the first time I read that, I thought, that's a strange illustration, Jesus, because I don't know anybody that does that. I don't know why there's no light in this room. Oh, I see the problem. I put the light under a basket. <laughs> Silly me. 
And, you know, that doesn't seem like a reasonable illustration, except you need to understand that Jesus was delivering this sermon on the hills of Galilee. It was the Sermon on the Mount, and every single person on that audience that day was a Jewish person who would have understood exactly what he was talking about. And it was a thinly veiled reference to the story of Gideon and the Midianites. And let me just sort of briefly remind you of that story. So this is what happens. So you have the land is overrun by the Midianites. Uh, God comes to Gideon and he tells him he's going to lead the people and they're going to be victorious over them. And so then he says, so gather some people and he gathers 30,000 people. Now they're going up against tens of thousands of Midianites, so that would not be the wrong strategy. And God looks at him and says, you got too many people. Tell anybody who's afraid to go home. So he told them that, and 20,000 people went home. <laughs> I would have been right at the front of the line. I get it. And so, so then he says, you still got too many. You got 10,000, still got too many. So you remember what happened. He took them down to the riverbank. He says, take them down for a drink, and everybody that lies on their belly and laps like a dog, I want you to tell them to go home. And everybody who goes down on one knee and cups their hand and has their eyes attuned and a watch for the enemy and drinks out of their hand, you take those people. How many people were left? How many people did that? Yeah, it was 300 people. So he gets his 300 people, and then God gives him the rest of the strategy, which in my mind was completely ridiculous. Here's the strategy. He says, tell the 300 to put a trumpet in one hand and to put a torch in the other hand, and then put a basket, or more specifically, a pitcher over the torch. And then I want you to go down to the enemy's camp and attack them with a trumpet and a torch under a pitcher. Now, here's, here's my thought. If I've got a trumpet in one hand and a torch in the other hand, what hand is my sword in exactly? <laughs> That's a good question, isn't it? So anyway, they weren't very bright, so they, so they obeyed him, and down they went into the enemy's camp. Now, they were all asleep. There's tens of thousands of Midianites. They're all, it's the dead of night. They're all sound asleep, and they go down into the camp, and they break the pitcher, and they hold up the light, and then they blow the trumpet with the other hand, and then they start shouting, the sword of the Lord, and the sword of Gideon, and the sword of the Lord, and the sword of the Gideon. And then the Midianites awoke from their sleep, and who remembers what they did? They grabbed their swords started wildly swinging, and they all killed each other. Gideon and his army didn't have to kill a single person. They killed each other. See, they brought light into the darkness, and they all killed themselves. It's a crazy story. Now, I know that this could happen because I almost one time killed all of my friends exactly the same way. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You want to hear the story? You got time? Here's the story. So, so I was living by myself. I was about 20 years old. And it was the middle of the night, and I'd forgotten to lock my front door. And I was lying in bed, totally dead to this world, deep sleep, REM, the whole thing going on. And my you know, stupid, drunken, 20-year-old friends decided in the middle of an all-night drunk to come and wake me up to, to come and join them. So they came into the house. The door was unlocked. So they came in, went up to my bedroom, flipped on the lights, and started yelling at me to wake up. I'm in the dead of the sleep. And so I jumped to my feet. It was a completely reaction. I didn't think about this for even one second. And I grabbed my pillow and I swung it at them and mowed them all down. Now I want you to think about this. Had that been a sword, they would have all been dead. Okay? That's how close I came to killing all my friends. 
say, Pastor Mark, that was a pillow fight. I know. I know it was a pillow fight. But what if it had been a sword? Right? They would have been all dead. So I'm just saying, this could happen. (laughs) Thank you for tracking with me. So here's what I want to do in the last few minutes. I, I want to talk to you about how this strategy of Gideon's actually works in our life and in our real world. So here's how we are liked in the darkness. Number one, you go down to the enemy's camp. Number two, you show the light. Number three, you blow the trumpet. See, the, at, at some point, we have to get out of the four walls of the church. And it's great to be here and it's great to worship and it's great to prayer, pray and do all the things we do. But at some point... We have to go out of the four walls and we have to go into the world where people live and that's where we have to do our business and that's where we have to make it happen. And that's why every, every spring we do this thing for many, many years. It was Love Winnipeg. Now we call it Winnipeg Rocks, but it's the same thing. And we do random acts of kindness. We go and do good works and we love people and love our community. And we've been doing it for so long. We've done such incredible things in our city. And we've spent a whole month doing this. And we've, we've removed tens of thousands of square feet of graffiti off of buildings. And we have mowed grass. And we fixed fences. And we fixed roofs. And we've handed out water. And we've handed out clothes. And we've handed out um, uh, water and Slurpees and all kinds of things to people. We've given away, and this is not an exaggeration, we have given away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bikes to people, particularly kids in the inner city that wouldn't be able to afford one otherwise. We have done carnivals and we've done events and we've done every kind of outreach you can possibly think. I don't even have time to, to list the things. Last year, coming out of COVID, do you know what we did? We, uh, we thought about the school teachers and we thought, what could we do? These school teachers endured two and a half years of misery in the schools trying to balance all of the requirements and regulations. So we went down to the the schools in this community and we served a a wonderful lunch to hundreds and hundreds of school teachers and thanked them for the work they did uh, being with our kids during COVID. That's, That's just an example of one of the things we did. And, and, you know, so I, I could go on and on. I can't list them all. But I just want to tell you a quick little story about this. So, so a few years ago, uh, a bunch of churches were working together during the month of June. And what we decided to do was we were going to do a citywide cleanup. And we were assigning different parts of the city. We were all getting out of our buildings and into the city. And different parts of the city were assigned to different churches. And some of you remember this. We got assigned Osborne Village. And I was pretty excited. We were going to go down on a Saturday morning and we were going to clean up Osborne Village. And so what was fascinating to me was we had 300 people almost exactly show up. And I thought, I am Gideon. This is fantastic. And so anyway, we went into the streets and we had green garbage bags and we were filling them with garbage and there was a lot of garbage. We went right down under the Osborne Street Bridge where there was about 50 people living in absolute squalor under there. We were picking up needles and other gross things that I don't want to mention in church and disgusting things and we were filling these green garbage bags. And then Glenn, one of our guys, he had brought his truck and his trailer and he was going up and down Osborne Street and we were tying up these bags and we were throwing them into the trailer so that they could go off to the, the dump. And so we just kept doing this and, and we had sharps containers and we were picking up needles and razor blades and all kinds of things. And uh, so then the next day, we were all pretty pumped, pretty excited. We had a great day. We were giving people water. We were sharing the gospel. We were giving out literature, all that kind of stuff as well. And so then the next day I'm in church and this couple came up to me that did not come to the event. 
And uh, they said, Pastor Mark, we got a call from our son last night. We haven't heard from him for ages. He lives in Osborne Village. And he, out of the blue, called us. And he said, you know, I know you guys go to Church of the Rock. And he said, if I was ever to go to church, which I'm probably not, but if I was ever going to go to church, I'd go to Church of the Rock. And they said, why would you do that? He'd say, because they were in my community yesterday cleaning it up in the streets. And the pastor... That guy on television, he was down on his hands and knees picking up the garbage right out of the gutter. And he says, that's the kind of church I want to go to. And I'm sorry I'm so awesome. It's just the truth. (laughs) You know, I'm saying that in the most self-deprecating way because I wasn't doing anything special. And I'll tell you something. I was certainly not the hero of that day. I'll tell you the heroes of that day. So I said that the, the trailer was going by for the garbage bags. And at the end of the day, we'd all packed up and everybody was leaving. And I see this couple, they were brand new to the church. It was the first event they'd ever come out to. And they were standing at the bus stop with green garbage bags full of garbage. And they were about to get on. And I saw them. I said, Kathy, we got to go grab that garbage from them and put it in the trunk. But by the time I got uh, turned around and got to where they were, they had climbed on the bus with their garbage bags and went and sat in the bus with their garbage bags. And off the bus went. And I thought, oh, this is sort of embarrassing. They didn't know. So then the next day I saw them in the lobby and I said, hey, I saw you guys getting on the bus with your bags of garbage. What were you doing? They said, Oh, we thought we were supposed to take it home with us. <laughs> oh my goodness, these are precious people. And then I started thinking, Pastor Mark, what would you do? Well, I would have found the nearest dumpster, thrown it in, and run for my life is what I would have done. Nobody likes you using their dumpsters. And these precious people actually did that. So, so the first thing is you've got to go to the enemy's camp. The second thing is you've got to let your light shine. And understand what I mean by this. It's... If you just do good works and people don't know why you're doing it, then you're just a really nice guy, right? It actually doesn't help the gospel if they don't know you're doing it in your commitment to Christ and your love for them. You have to let them know about the love of Christ. So part of letting the light shine is to let people know why you're doing it. And without that, it's just good works, just good works. So here's one little story for you. So there was a ministry called Exodus International, and they're actually banned now in Canada. It's true. It's banned. But anyway, they're an American ministry, and what they do is they minister to people coming out of the homosexual lifestyle and transitioning back into a heterosexual lifestyle. And they had wanted a place to hold a conference, and so they were holding it at Calvary Temple. They just rented the facility, probably gave it to them. And the church actually didn't have anything to do with it. They were just letting them use the building. Now, you can imagine how unpopular that concept is that I just shared with you. So while this conference was going on, dozens of protesters showed up right across the street from Calvary Temple with their placards, and they, and they were going on like this, and they were protesting this event. And my friend, Bruce Martin, was the pastor at the time. He's now retired. He was sitting out his office window, and he could see these protesters across the street. And it's a miserable fall day. It's cold. It's raining. They're standing out in the rain. And he decides he's going to do something. And so he goes down to the kitchen, he brews a bunch of coffee, and he puts it on a a, a tea trolley, and he goes and gets some boxes of Tim Hortons donuts, and he walks across the street with this coffee and donuts, and he starts serving coffee and donuts to these people. 
And they said this, they're all drinking their coffee and eating their donuts and saying, this is really, really nice of you. Thank you so much for, for doing this. Are you joining the protest? He said, no, no, I'm the pastor of the church right there. <laughs> they didn't know who he was. And they said, well, why are you doing this? Why are you being so kind to us? We're here to protest you. He says, I'm doing this because God loves you, and so do I. You see, that's how you let your light shine. People need to know why you're doing it. So the first thing is, is you, you, you've got to go to the enemy's camp. The second thing is you've got to let, show your light. And the third thing is you've got to blow your trumpet. And the, blowing the trumpet is the declaration of the gospel. You know, it was St. Francis of Assisi who said this. He said, by all means, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And at some point, it becomes necessary to use words. And Paul says, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, what he was saying is that when you share the gospel, you have to do it in a way that is clear enough for people to understand. They need to be able to get it. And so the good works provide that goodwill, which gives you the opportunity to share the good news. So let me just finalize one story here. So when Kathy and I got married, we were brand new Christians, and we were were what you'd call zealous new Christians. You know what another word for that is? Stupid. Uh, we, we were, uh, particularly me, I was a real jerk. And I, I was a bit judgmental and a bit critical, and I was just way too forthright, and I was always preaching to everybody and telling everybody about Jesus, and I didn't care whether they wanted to listen to me or not. And it drove Kathy's parents crazy. Now, they liked her, because she was their daughter, but they never really liked me, which I never understood. Who wouldn't like me? Right? I mean, who wouldn't like me? I know, I know what you're thinking, like crazy, weird. But for, for years, they didn't really like me. I mean, de- decades, they didn't like me. It wasn't until we like, had some grandkids, that helped, and a few other things. And it took forever and ever. And I remember one time, probably about a year into our Christianity, and uh, Kathy and I were talking to them about the Lord and stuff. And finally, her mother interrupted us and said, you know what, Kathy? Actions speak louder than words. Ouch. That was such a knife, but it was so true. Because what they were doing was they were hearing the words, but they weren't seeing the actions that corresponded and really showed the love of Christ. So we changed our strategy. And so then for the next number of years, we prayed for them, we loved them, we cared for them, we tried to be the kind of people that would really exemplify the faith of Jesus Christ. And you know that she never, she continued to resist the gospel, even though she actually came to church a few times and watched the show almost every week. Still didn't like me, but she watched the show. And, and so anyway, I think she was 88 years old. She was dying of cancer. She was lying in the hospital bed. She's racked with cancer and in a lot of pain. And Kathy was there every day by her side, every day by her side. And every time that her mother would have these, these pains, just incredible pain, Kathy would pray for her, and the pain would subside. And one day, the nurse came in and said, who's this with you? And she said, this is my daughter who prays for me every day. And the pain goes away. And then Kathy phoned me up and said, I think she's ready. You get down here. I said, why do I have to get down there? She said, you're the evangelist. You do it for a living. Get down here and lead my mother to Christ. I said, all right. So I went down there, and she was ready. And she accepted Christ. And in that moment, after 30 years of praying for her and loving on her, and then two days later, she was gone to be with the Lord. That's how this thing works. 
And you know, I, I don't have time to tell the rest of the story, but 12 years later or something like that, her dad, the same thing, exactly the same story happened with her dad, and he was just shy, are you ready of this, of his 100th birthday. He came to Christ. I mean, he could have made this decision earlier. It wouldn't have been too early. Just shy of his 100th birthday, and he too came to Christ just a week before he passed away. My point is, people, this stuff works. We are called to be the light in the darkness. Jesus said, so let your light shine that people will see your good works and glorify God. You are the light of the world. Let's stand together. All right, we're going to take a moment and uh, we're going to do what we always do and that's give people an opportunity to invite Christ into their life to be their Lord and Savior. And so with every head bowed, with every eye closed, and if you would like to make that decision, meaning this, you're not sure if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven. You're not sure where you're standing with him. I'm talking to you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to ask you to say anything publicly. This is a very private moment. The public moment comes at baptism. But if you're not sure about where you stand with him and accepting the work of the cross, we never know when our number gets called. And so I'm not going to single you out or call you forward, but I'm going to ask you to do this. If you'd like to make that decision today, I want you to slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around. Nobody can see you. Thank you in the middle. Thank you in the side, the back, far side. Anybody else want to join these folks? It's between you and me and Jesus. Thank you at the very back. Thank you, son. All right. Fantastic. Maybe you knew him in the past and you want to come back. How about you? Maybe you want to make that decision today. All right, you can all lower your hands. Let's all pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. That you died for my sin. And you washed it all away. On the third day you rose again. And you forever live to be my Lord. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Today I'm a new creation in Christ. Today I'm a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give Jesus a shout, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.